Good morning. Um, as you guys know, I'm Cassidy. I've, I've got a picture of my family um, up here. Shout out to Jamie Brown, who took this picture. Um, I've got my husband, Taylor, and then I've got a two-and-a-half-year-old, Matthew, and an 11-month-old, Sophie. Um, they are a handful, for sure. Uh, Sophie recently um, is starting to act more like a sibling than a baby. Uh, she, we, we regularly chase Matthew around the house to burn off energy, and she's like trying to keep up now. It's awesome. Um, we just recently potty trained Matthew, and it took a while for him to figure out how to poop in the potty. So we were like really celebrating it. So we're clapping and you know getting really excited when he would poop in the potty. So now whenever Sophie sees Matthew on the potty, she just starts clapping for him. It's, it's great <laughs> when she loves someone clapping before you have to go potty. Um, she, she just loves Matthew so much. She just like gets down and looks at him and like cackles. She just thinks it's so great. Um, Matthew is uh, so, such a sweet boy. Whenever I like put my like hand, my head in my hands, you know, I'm like, ugh, like that, you know, he comes up to me, he goes, ooh, okay, you okay? And I go, yeah, buddy, I'm, I'm just a little sad right now, but I'll be okay. And he goes, er, ad, you're sad. <laughs> he's, he's very empathetic. Um, he's so sweet. Um, we love our kids so much. It's been a joy and a um, interesting, challenging adventure having kids. Um, They're full of mischief and mayhem. Um, I'm so grateful for this church. Uh, we got to be a part of this church for a couple years. Um, I'm so grateful for Kate and Mark and, and Cooper um, as he was a pastor here and we you know, love Karen and got to work with Karen, love Karen and Craig. Um, so super grateful for this church, grateful for all, all of you. Um, Taylor and I, uh, a lot of you support us too in our ministry. So Taylor and I are campus missionaries. So thank you for uh, supporting us. This church has supported us for four years now. Thank you for that. Um, we have a newsletter if you'd like to receive that, so you can get that um, from Taylor and I after service if you'd like that. Um, but like we said, or Amanda said about us, we work at Central Washington University. Um, and we've just been like, it's been so fun to see this last year, Jesus and the Holy Spirit transforming students' lives. Um, one of the things that has been really cool to see is um, our students lead small groups. Um, so they're the main ones discipling other students. Um, and it's so it's just amazing to watch them take on the mantle of leadership and disciple other students and to have that responsibility and to carry it so well. Um, my favorite thing that I get to do is I teach discipleship class. So um, we've got like 10 students in the class. Um, every year we have different classes. So there's about 10 students in each class. Um, and we, we teach about the gospel, we teach about God's mission and justice for the world, um, we teach about evangelism and discipleship, and we finish off with spiritual disciplines. Um, the class is structured as like a discussion-based class um, with teaching and discussion, and um, it's just so fun to watch the light bulbs come on, like those light bulb moments where students like get something for the first time. Um, and then they like, you know, you're watching them and their wheels are spinning and then they say something like so profound that you're like, wow, that's so good. You should teach the class. <laughs> um, so it's just been really fun. Uh, a couple students stand out to me if, if you guys are praying for us. There's Martha, um, Elijah, and Rachel were in my class this last year. They're going to be leading um, small groups this year for the first time. So they're going to be going out on campus and finding um, freshmen 
who are new to Central, and they're going to be putting themselves out there. They're going to risk, take a risk, and they're going to be like, hey, do you want to be my friend? Do you want to be in my small group? Do you want to learn how to live Jesus with me? You know, and these are like 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds who are going out there and loving the students for Jesus. So if you think about us, think about Martha and Elisha and Rachel and pray for them. Um, we're going to get into the Word this morning. You guys are in Ephesians. I'm going to be teaching through some of Ephesians 5. Um, but first, I'd like to share a story. Um, so uh, starting in, the, in May of 2019, uh, Taylor and I became nomads <laughs> for a little bit. Um, we lived with a lady who lived on Silver Lake for a month. We lived with our, each set of parents off and on. We house sat for people. And we did this because we were looking to buy a house. And if you have tried to buy a house recently or in the last couple years, you kind of know that feeling of like someone else puts an offer and they get the house or it sells even before you can put an offer in the house. You kind of know like if you're doing that for months, you can kind of imagine the mental state that we were in. It was not good. Um, but finally, you know, we're praying like every day that the Lord would provide a house for us as we're like homeless. And finally, our realtor sent the daily email and there was a house. It was like this faded yellow house with brown trim, pretty ugly, nothing exciting about it. But it was something about that house that like captured our, our hearts. Um, we ended up getting that house. And, and moving in, uh, and we're just we're so excited to be homeowners for the first time. Um, and we moved in in the fall of 2018, so we barely went outside. We'd been apartment dwellers up until then. We didn't even know you could go outside. We thought you just had to stay in your house. Um, so we literally, for the first six months we lived in that house, we didn't even go outside except to get in our car. Um, and then COVID hit, and we got stuck at home. And we went outside for the first time. We are like, oh my gosh, our yard is huge. We had no idea. Uh, and we got really into gardening, and we just started to love our house. We renovated a basement. We, you know, we just got really into like loving that place and, and taking care of it. And um, something that we like learned from that house was like it. It just kind of like saved us through COVID a little bit. Um, it kept kept our sanity. It kept us like ha we had something to do. We had something to like be excited about. And you know, all us, all the students at Eastern had to go home, and we're doing things over Zoom, and it was just kind of awful for a while. And but that house, it kind of just saved us. It was like the Lord knew what we needed, and He gave it to us, and we had no idea. We had no idea that we needed that house, um, and that's like the gift He gave us. Um, I really struggle with being okay with like things in process. Um, I want to jump to the finished product and enjoy it. I don't know if anyone else feels that way. It's really hard to just live in that limbo of uh, in process. Um, and that house taught me to sort of be okay with that. Uh, there is a huge cherry tree in the backyard and it provided the most amazing shade in the summer. And I had to learn how to sit under that cherry tree and drink my ice cold LaCroix or whatever and enjoy it for what it is, all while chaos is all around me. And there's like unfinished projects here and unfinished project there. And there's so much I'm like, I wish this was this way. I wish that was that way. And I had to learn how to be like content and enjoy the thing for what it was, right? Um, I think that house, it started to teach me this idea of like thankfulness and gratefulness for 
gratefulness for like something for what it is, right? Being grateful for what you have in the moment. Um, one of the things we teach about in our discipleship class at Central is the upside down kingdom. Um, the kingdom of God is the opposite world, in case you didn't know. The least are the greatest, the weak are strong, the poor are rich, um, blessed are the meek, blessed are the merciful. Um, Jesus' very life introduces us to the upside down kingdom. You know, he comes as a helpless baby, he's dependent on imperfect humans, um, he submits to being a human. Um, and then the ultimate upside down kingdom moment is when he dies, right, on the cross. Victory looks like death. It's like the opposite of our expectations. Um, so this morning, we are going to talk about how thankfulness is an essential part of the upside down kingdom. So if you guys could turn with me in your Bibles or on your phone to Ephesians 5, I think we'll also have it on the screen. Um, I love the tradition of standing while we read the scripture. So if you guys could all stand with me, um, we're going to read Ephesians 5, 1 through 14. All right. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Thank you. You may be seated. Um, so I'm going to get a little bit nerdy with you guys. Hope that's okay. Um, we're going to do a bit of sentence diagramming this morning. Um, I have a picture up on the screen. Um, starting in verse 3, Paul creates a symmetry to drive his point home. So this is an ABC, ABC, ABD structure. Super nerdy, okay? Um, if it looks a little funny to you, it's because it's directly translated from Greek. So the sentences mimic Greek more than English. Um, so let's read it together. So you've got section A, you've got sexual immorality, all impurity, or greedy desire. Jump to B, should not be named among y'all. C, as is fitting for the holy ones. Back to A, all obscenity or foolish talk or inappropriate humor. B, no things have, such things have no place. C, but rather grateful thanksgiving. 
Back to A, for y'all should surely know this, no sexual immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater, B, no person like this, has an inheritance in the kingdom of the Messiah and of God. And then D, to finalize the whole thing, let no one deceive you with empty words, because of these things the wrath of God comes upon those who are disobedient. All right. Hope you followed along with that. Um, so that the triad of sins is repeated three times, along with three assertions that such behavior has no place in the new humanity in both the present and the future. I'll say that again. The triad of sins is repeated three times, along with the, th the three assertion assertions that such behavior has no place in the new humanity, both in the present and the future. Why does Paul feel like it's so important to say something three times. If a biblical author says something three times, you know that you need to sit up and listen. Why don't these things have a place in the new humanity? Um, we're gonna jump to 1 Corinthians 6. So if you have your Bible, you can go there. It'll also be on the screen. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul is addressing a problem with new believers. Um, they're still going down to Zeus's temple. They're getting drunk in the sacrificial meal, and they're sleeping with cult prostitutes who work there. Not a good situation. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 22. Sorry, in verse 12, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the, um, the member of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who, you, he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So Paul's logic here in this section is, first of all, your body matters because it's going to be raised with Jesus. And then second, your body doesn't belong to you anyway. It's not yours to do with what you want. You are bought with a price. price. Your body is a gift. It's not mine. Um, and we should probably do what, with our bodies what they've been designed for, which is to express God's covenantal love to our neighbor. Any sexual activity that is not covenantal commitment between a man and a woman is a misuse of that gift. The new humanity looks like people expressing God's covenantal love to their neighbor. Sexual immorality, greed, and foolish talk are all part of the old human. All those things, they invite self-destruction into our life. It's not reality. Reality is the new humanity. 
There will always be people who want to lower the standard of the high sexual ethic of Jesus and the apostles. And Paul thinks that this is based on deception. That's why he says in Ephesians 5, 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. So let's take a moment here and let's define a phrase, God's wrath. That sounds really heavy and scary. Um, I want you to turn with me to Romans 1.18, or you could see on the screen, Romans 1.18 says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Paul continues in chapter one of Romans to fill out what he means by the wrath of God. He says three times following this verse, the phrase, God gave them over, God gave them over, God gave them over. God gives them over to their sinful desires. God's wrath is not that he's going to come down and smite people dead right in front of us. God's wrath is that he's going to let people live out their sinful desires and those des desires will destroy them over time. That's pretty dark. <laughs> God gives people what they want and they destroy themselves. Let's just stop for a minute and like think about the ramifications of that. And you know, that's why we pray, your will, not my will, be done, Jesus, right? Um, I see this in college students all the time. They desperately want a, a girlfriend or a boyfriend, and they seek it and seek it and seek it, and then they find it. But immediately, if this person isn't following Jesus, they stop coming to large group and small group, and they stop answering your texts, and they stop showing up to your one-on-one -on -one weekly meeting, and they say they're still gonna love Jesus, but then they just stop being part of community. That relationship has basically become their new God that they worship. I think it is really true of money as well. Um, it doesn't matter how much you have or don't have, uh, it's easy to let greed slip in and let money seduce us uh, with the promise of security and safety. Um, this summer, Taylor and I had a come to Jesus moment with money. Taylor was driving to SeaTac and our car just stopped accelerating. He was four minutes away from a Nissan Center, which was awesome, but that Nissan, Nissan Center was in Bellevue, so the taxes alone were hundreds of dollars. <laughs> um, and we ended up having to get our transmission replaced. And we were faced with the reality that we had to spend most of our emergency savings on our car. Our immediate reaction was fear. If we paid for this, we'd have no more security net. We had, a, we had to like trust Jesus, that it's actually Jesus who takes care of us, not our money. Um, and that was really hard. In the end, God totally provided for us, and we still have emergency savings. It's amazing. Um, but it really sort of brought it right in front of our face. Do I trust my money to keep me safe, or do I trust Jesus? Do I trust th that the one true God loves me and is going to take care of me? Um, Ephesians 5, 5 says, for of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. 
Um, be careful to not read this verse out of context. Um, this particular verse is not actually about people going to hell. This verse is about what it means to lose your inheritance. What Paul is saying, to not have an inheritance is to miss out on what you've been made for. To not have an inheritance is to miss out on what you've been made for. You've traded in the true reality for a subhuman one. C.S. Lewis's great divorce uh, is a parable about how some people are going to arrive in the new creation and they're gonna experience it and see it for what it is. And other people are going to arrive and they're gonna hate it. The new creation is gonna be hell for them. It's too real for their bodies and they've become a shadow of what they're truly meant to be. So what is the solution to all of this? How can I stop serving these idols of sexual immorality, greed, and foolish talk? How can we get these things out of our lives and live in the new humanity? Well, what does Ephesians tell us? Um, instead of sexual immorality and gr greed and foolish talk, Paul says to have grateful thanksgiving. How does thanksgiving counter these things? Tim Mackey from Bible Project says, when I'm being grateful, I'm naming something in the moment that didn't come from me and that I don't necessarily deserve or that surprises me as a gift. He goes on to describe how that when we assume we will have something, we start to think that we'll deserve, we deserve it. Gratefulness names something as a gift. And he talks about how the habit of naming everything in our lives as gifts changes us. It changes our moral compass. I'll say that part again because I'm still scratching my head over it. Gratefulness, name something as a gift. And the habit of constantly naming everything in my life as a gift changes me. It changes you. It changes our moral compass. When was the last time you thought about how gratefulness is naming something as a gift. Have you ever thought about how that could change your moral compass? I thought that gratefulness was kind of like an end in itself. I thought it was like good and necessary, but I didn't think it like shaped me as a person or made me more like Jesus necessarily. Remember 1 Corinthians 6, our bodies are a gift. We were bought with a price. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 5.18. It'll also be on the screen. So 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstance, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God's will for us is that we give thanks in every circumstance. Giving thanks, being thankful and grateful is an antidote to sin. Thankfulness is a state of being ordained for us by God. We'll say that again. Giving thanks, being thankful and grateful is an antidote to sin, and thankfulness is a state of being ordained for us by God. Um, we're gonna jump back into Ephesians 5. We're gonna read verses seven through 14 again. So if you wanna turn there with me. Ephesians 5, seven through 14. It says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. 
and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it says, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So earlier I just read 1 Thessalonians 5.18, you know, give thanks in every circumstance. The context of that verse is that it sits in Paul's final instructions after a section that reminds me of Ephesians 5. So we're going to read that together. So it's 1 Thessalonians 5, 4 through 11. And just listen and see if you can hear how it's similar to Ephesians, Ephesians 5. It says, But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. To me, that echoes Ephesians 5 so much. It's like Paul preaches different versions of the same sermon to all the places he goes. Um, earlier, I mentioned that we, we talk a lot about the upside-down kingdom in discipleship class. This is the upside-down kingdom. Everyone thinks they're living the real life, but they're asleep. They're living in a dream world. Reality is God's kingdom, his ethic, his economy, we're called to live, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in, every, in all circumstances, for this is God's will, in, it, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The world, or idols, will draw you away. They're going to promise that sexual immorality, impurity, greediness, foolish talk, obscenity, and an inappropriate humor is going to make you happy. These idols... They're promising us that they're going to be a better God than the one true God. Jesus' call to us is to turn in the opposite direction, to view everything in our lives as gifts, to look around us with eyes of gratitude. When we look around with gratitude, those idols are revealed to be full of empty promises that cannot satisfy. Wake up. If you follow Jesus, you're living in the new reality. You are part of the new humanity. You are part of the now and not yet kingdom of God. You are resurrected with Jesus. Your life is a gift. Your body is a gift. Be grateful and free yourself from the bondage of empty, hollow gods who cannot deliver on their promises. The title of this series is In Christ. This is what it means to be in Christ. You are part of the new humanity. Your life looks completely different now. You say no and yes to the opposite things that you did before. All year you guys have been talking about what do I believe and am I living out what I believe? Have you turned your life upside down yet? This is your action step. Go home today, walk around your house and your yard, look at everything you have and thank God for it. 
Think about all your family and the friends that you have. Think about your job and the projects you're working on. Think about your children and your grandchildren. Every time you eat, think about the food you're eating and thank God for all of it. See them as merciful gifts, as grace gifts. Um, I've adopted this practice in my daily life and I've found that my mindset and behavior change rapidly. Like I said before, I personally struggle with appreciating things that are in process. I just wanna jump ahead to the finished project or product. I found that when I thank God for even the imperfect things or the unfinished things, I feel at peace and grateful and my overall stress and anxiety lowers. Think about all the movies and the TV shows we watch. What are they doing most of the time? Their loneliness, asleep, and making Paul's lists of sins here normal. I'm not advocating, advocating that anyone stop watching anything. What I'm saying is maybe wake up a bit and evaluate in your life what am I watching and listening to that's convincing me that sexual morality, greed, impurity, obscenity, foolish talk, and coarse joking is okay? Have I lessened my standards of what's okay for me? I'm not talking about worrying about other people and what they're watching. Look at yourself and evaluate your own heart. Um, when Christians misuse the internet and post and comment rude, mean, hateful, or unkind things about another person, they're acting as the old human. People who tear down others, other people, are living in a subhuman reality. The new humanity looks like people expressing God's covenantal love to their neighbor. And I'll say that again. The new humanity looks like people expressing God's covenantal love to their neighbor. The new humanity is not about feeling superior. It's expressing love. I think we all need to get a cup of coffee or tea, and we need to go for a long walk, and we need to work out what this means for our life. We need to work out with the Holy Spirit how we can love our neighbors. We need to process and ponder how are we living as the old human? And how are we embracing the new humanity? So here is your starting point. God said, replace sexual sin with grateful thanksgiving. Replace greed with grateful thanksgiving. Replace all impurity with grateful thanksgiving. And replace obscenity, foolish talk, and coarse joking with grateful thanksgiving. What an amazing, simple way to start. I'm going to pray, and then Amanda's going to come up. Um, dear my Father, thank you so much that you make things so uh, simple and easy for us to start. It's not a complicated process to look around us and to name everything in our life as a gift, but how easily we forget to do that, Lord. And so I just pray this week that we all be convicted to see everything in our life as a gift and to name it as a gift and to be switch to a new direction, looking in a new direction, viewing our life through new lenses of, wow, I'm so grateful for my life and what I have. Um, so I just pray you would um, bless us with that. I know how much you love us and want us to live in your new humanity with you. So Lord, I just pray that you would help us all to do that this morning. We love you so much. Amen. All right. Can we thank Cassidy for sharing with us this morning? Thank you. 
All right. Don't forget, in a couple weeks, we won't be here. We will be in Medical Lake at the park. Um, and right now, we have another round of Mark's favorite tradition, which is peas on the patio. Um, so we have some pudding treats outside on the patio for you, if you would like uh, to go out there um, and just fellowship, uh, get to know each other, and enjoy a snack together. Um, and as Mark always says, uh, Jesus loves you very much, and so do Mark and Kate and all of us. Thank you for coming.